Hi, and welcome to the eighth episode of Touring the Multiverse. This is the first limited series of the It's a Mimic podcast where I, Dave, lead you and me on a tour of one of the published campaign settings for Dungeons and Dragons. 5th edition. Over the course of this series on Emperon, I'll be breaking down history, lore, settings, populaces, adventures, and player options. Will I give some quick insights into the unique monster stats that Wizards of the Coast has provided? Today, we're covering dragon marks, more specifically, the houses. So climb aboard the lightning rail and join me as we look into the steampunky world of high adventure as presented in Eberron Rising from the Last War. So today, we're going to continue on with dragon marks, more specifically the houses. Um, last time we covered, you know, what a dragon mark is, what they're all about, and everything that is dragon marks. How they except, manifest and whatnot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything except what the individual houses do. We're going to cover what the individual dragon marks do in a later episode as well, right? Yeah, each, each one for each house gives you different... It's a new sub-race option, right? Exactly. So, but we're going to cover that later. This is just what the houses are all about and, you know, get up all in their business. I get it. Yes. Uh, do you know how many houses there are? 13. All right. So let's just jump right into them because there's a lot Did to Did you cover. know there used to be a 14th? No. Well, you will by the end of this episode. Excellent. What is a dragon, Mark Uh It's a... Interesting. I hadn't really thought about this because I just... I, I know it, but I don't know how to put it into words. Um, it is... When people of the same dragon mark get together, um, which I think we covered before is a particular bloodline. Yes. Um, they'll have a, a leader of the house. Sometimes it's multiple people. Sometimes it's just a person. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, councils, that kind of thing. It can be all sorts of different ways for their, to figure Traditionally out. Traditionally speaking, they have the one person who's known as a baron. Yes. They will uh, own a bunch of guilds, businesses. That focus on a particular thing? They essentially have the licensing to an industry or two. Yeah. Right? And so they've got their one guild, their one main guild that they own. This is our Dragonmark guild. But they'll also license tertiary other businesses and swallow them up. And I think it's, it seems difficult to be an independent business owner. It does, but it's all based on licenses. So if you've got a halfling guild giving out licensing, you don't necessarily need to be a halfling to gain the license. No, yes, that's true. But, I mean... The, these are the people that give out the franchises. There you go. That, that's a better way of putting it. Yeah. So uh, they're also considered nobility. They run their own rules and they have a presence in all of the original five nations and most of the new nations that have broken down, the 13 or 14 or whatever it was, new nations according. Once you get down to it, there's like 17 different areas, yeah. right? So <laughs> right. So, but they've got a presence in most, if not all of them. Yeah. And they all actually have a, a presence in Stormreach as well on Zendrick. And they interact with each other. Uh, did we talk about the 12 last time? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so um, they've got a uh, kind of healthy respect for one another. However, there's a lot of tension and history and there's some new shit that's happening among some of them as well, which is pissing off the others. Yeah, I've actually got two houses I'm going to cover that have a unique link um, that you don't really see between other houses. So, like, they do 
work well together. For the most part. For the most part. Some of them have some real clashes, though, too. This really does feel like it's... um. It's Romeo and Juliet, West Side Story level of like like families. Uh, it's almost like Godfather level. Yeah, I mean, right? some of them are, are power hungry. Some of them are not. Yeah. Right? So it's it's quite a interesting mix of characters. So a lot of cool ideas for guilds and nobles and shit for any D&D setting. If you wanted to just steal any one of these, which, you know, I really like. Which is interesting because I'm going to eventually, hopefully, take a big, deep look into the guilds of Ravnica. So I'm kind of interested to see how, how the guilds there interact, or like not interact, but like... How they stack up against the, the dragon houses. houses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which will probably be the faiths of Theros as well. Probably. I honestly haven't looked at Theros yet, so... I looked at it for about 15 minutes and I was overwhelmed and I had to walk away. Yeah? Just like with emotion? Yes. Good. No, it was, honestly, it was a giddiness. It was like, ooh, ooh, this guy. Ooh, I have that card. Ooh, 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 I've got a deck based around this guy. All right, and what was your alternative title for this episode? Oh, Dragon Mark and the Funky Bunch. Fuck right off. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just dive right in. Do you want to roll to see who was going first? You did half, I did half. Yeah. So. Do you have a specific order that you want to do yours in? I mean, no, not really. All right, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, grab dice. Let's roll. I got a six. Uh, I got a 12. All right. So uh, the first one I was going to go over here is um, the Dragon Mark of Detection. The The house is called House Madani, and uh, they own the, the Warning Guild. Warning? Warning, yes. There's a Warding Guild as well, There right? is. Okay. I, I got that one too. I'll do that one later. All right. Um, their leader is Baron Trelib de Madani. Remember we went over the de apostrophe yeah. prefix? Means that he's got a dragon mark and he's of the house. Yeah. Um, their, their headquarters, they're located in the Tower of Inquisition, which is in Rote, the capital of Brayland. Sure. Okay. Uh, their sigil is the Basilisk Psy, and they broker the service of like bodyguards, inquisitors, and detectives and stuff like that. I mean, it's right in the name, detection. They are essentially... Your secret service for hire, but they're more than that as well. Uh, they protect all their clients from social and physical threats. If you were a high-ranking government official, you would probably have your guards, but you also might hire some uh, House Madani uh, people to just kind of like fill into the crowd. Um, so we've actually said a couple of times when we were doing our prep work for this series that you can't just read one part of the Eberron book and and understand that one thing. It's all littered throughout the book. You got to read the book like eight times. So you're talking about House Madani and I'm going to jump in right now and say, yes, they do this bodyguard thing. But House Deneath, which I'll be covering next, also does bodyguard stuff. There be- is overlap. And uh, House uh, Thrashk also does it but they do it with monsters right like the idea of guards is a very strange specific weird thing where there's a lot of overlap right now between all the houses house madani's seems to be more um law enforcement house deneath is law enforcement so again there's a lot of overlap here. so the difference is uh house uh madani is detectives yeah and house deneath is highway patrolmen yeah Okay. Sure. So and it's weird that they make the difference in this. It's the difference between like a local police force and an FBI. State trooper, right? Like, yeah, yeah there's going to be a difference there. But I just wanted to point that out early. Like, there's not just the one kind of police. House Madani, uh, we went over how most of the houses 
are one or two different races. Madani is half-elves, specifically. Now, and then they specialize in, like, subtle threat and complex mystery. Like you said, detectives. They have a real sense of community. They want to help their community. They're not in this to get rich. There is no quest for gold in this. In fact, they will often help those that can't afford it. Uh, whereas that might not be the case for some of the other houses, right? Uh, the other thing that really kind of set these guys apart uh, is that they don't have any real interest in inter-house bickering. If there's going to be a problem, they're just going to kind of walk away. They're, they're a neutral party. They try to be Switzerland. Not as much as some others, but yes. Mm-hmm. You got it? I do. Any questions? Uh, no. Okay. You got one? Yeah. My, my one, uh, mine is the Mark of Sentinel. Okay. So this is Denise. Sure. This is run by Baron Brevin de Denise. Who they've got a, a chimera emblem? De Denis. De Denis. I love that. It's a <laughs> Baron Brevin de Denis. It's well, a mouthful. Is he from the Marorholds? So he's actually based uh, in the Sentinel Tower in Carlacton in Carnath. Now the entire house is traditionally human. I say traditionally because, as we've pointed out in the past, it follows a bloodline. You can end up what's the word? I don't want to say making babies, mating, Fucking. breeding, boning, bumping uglies. Touching elephants. That's the one that I heard recently. Wow. Yeah. Who told you that one? <laughs> Saw it on the internet. Thank you, Reddit. Oh, boy. You can actually end up hooking up with someone from another one of the D&D races and pass the bloodline on through them. But traditionally speaking, they are human. This oh, is a- Sorry, wouldn't that technically give them an aberrant dragon mark? Aberrant dragon marks? No. Because, because you know, if you've got someone of one race who has a dragon mark, mate with someone... Who is not of that race and doesn't have that dragon mark? No, 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 no. They don't normally get that. No, dra- no, no. It's when the two dragon, it's when two opposing dragon mark bloodlines mingle. There's nothing okay. at all about aberrant dragon marks mingling with muggles. Get out. So these guys are all about bodyguards um, and mercenaries, specifically the famous Blade Marks Guild, uh, which is theirs that they have. They employ a whole bunch of different people. So while it is humans, they actually have uh, Valinar warbands, the elves, and uh, hobgoblins from Dargoon, goblins from Drome, and soldiers from Sire who don't have a nation to fight for anymore. They all come together and they work under this this one Blade Marks Guild, which is run by the House Deneath. It's the only Dragonmark house that is allowed to maintain a military force as well. So that's why I say like these guys are the actual militarized police force, right? Yeah. Whereas yours were detectives. Like they're they're going to carry a six shooting wand, but they're not, and they may have a badge, but they don't have riot gear and heavy armor, right? Um, house Denith does. Sure, these are the guys that also take or are keeping throne hold. Yes. Under under wraps, right? Yes. Uh yeah. Uh, they are the what are they called? Throne wardens. Yes. Right. So they're from they're from House Deneath as well. They overlap, like we said, with uh, House Madani as far as uh bodyguards go. But if you're going to get a bodyguard from House Deneath, it's not freaking cheap. These guys are in it for the profit as well. They like I say, it's about mercenaries. They uh also run run what's called the Sentinel uh, Marshals, who are agents that pursue criminals and enforce laws all across Corvair. Marshals are held to the highest standards, and it's a privilege to be among their numbers. And they're even considered to be part of the Sharn Watch in some districts of Sharn. Interesting. They're also the only police force or or unit at all that is allowed to cross borders to hunt down fugitives. Okay. So this is Dog the Bounty Hunter. Noel the Bounty Hunter. 
Um, some members of the House like to flex their military might, but the House is traditionally neutral and can be bought fairly by any side in any conflict. And as a matter of fact, they were on all sides of the last war. Yeah, that makes sense. So that took me a little while to wrap my brain around the idea that you've got the same house fighting and killing each other in the war as well. But if you get bought, you go where the money is, right? Mm -hmm. The Baron actually has no interest in using the might of his house for personal gains, but he is surrounded by advisors who encourage him to rule all of uh, Corvair because they have the numbers. During the last war... House Deneath also hired a bunch of uh, goblinoid tribes as mercenaries, and they've actually brought a focus and relative peace to Dargoon. And they've got a huge presence there. They even introduced the Sovereign Host to many goblins who've embraced the faith down there. I like that. Yeah. Not many will trust goblins actually from Dargoon, but House Deneath recognizes their skills and ferocities and employs them as much as they possibly can. Well, the the reason that they don't trust the goblins is because they were kind of given an area to guard and took it over. Yeah. Right? So they're like, I think we went over it in the episode where we covered Dargoon. They're not super trusted as mercenaries anymore. Yeah. Right? Well, it was one hobgoblin general in particular that yeah. did it. Now all the tribes are up in arms and whatnot. Um, the big thing that House Denith does now is um, fight House, uh, Th- House Thrashk. Of course. Yeah, who is starting to edge in on the mercenary trade. They're also really not thrilled with the Finders Guild um, because they're consistently poking around in Denith business to find out what's going on. Sounds like they got something to hide. Perhaps. It's very vague about what these guys are actually up to. I'm, I'm not kidding. I've given you 100% of the information now about Baron Brevin de Denith. It doesn't give you anything else in the book about him. So it's really open for you to do whatever you want. And and they're all like this, right? The houses are very, very vague. I was really flipping around and doing a shit ton of digging with this. Yeah, well, makes sense. What do you have next? Uh, the next one I had was the Mark of Handling. Uh, this is House Vidalis. Yep. Uh, their leader is Dalin de Vidalis. There's a lot of D's in there. Yep. Uh, and, and they're headquartered in Foleswood, which is near Varna in the Eldine Reaches. That means nothing to me. They're in the Eldine Reaches. Yep, okay, okay. cool. Yeah. <laughs> this is a house of humans. Their sigil is the Hippogriff. They're not really interested in politics. They're more interested in discovering new monstrosities, which, I mean, if you listen to the Eldine Reaches episode, makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. There's lots of stuff going on in there. Mm-hmm. There's lots of these monstrosities wandering the, the forests and... And Traditionally speaking in D&D, monstrosities are created by wizards, so this makes a certain amount of sense that they would be in there doing shit like that. Uh, it does. Now, Dalin de Vidalis, he has no aspirations to nobility or greatness uh, for the house or for himself. Like Again, they're, they're not really interested in politics. They're not super into that side of things. Uh, what they do, however, is they breed and train animals for many purposes, okay? And this includes some exotic creatures as well. Uh, now, they're not going to do just horses for riding, for war, for working in the fields. They're going to do a lot more than that. Like I said, they also breed and train exotic creatures like griffins, hippogriffs, and bullets. Really? Bullets? That's that's interesting. That's a little different. Right? Land sharks, huh? Yeah. Weird. Huh. Yeah, right? no, that's fun. They also are engaged in a practice called mage breeding. Where they just get a bunch of lonely wizards together and have some punch. With they the... all got fancy masks and stuff. Yeah, it, it's eyes wide shut, but with, with wizards. No. Uh, what they do is they use dragon shards as a focus item. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, to create magical creatures. This results in stronger, smarter, and faster animals. Okay? That's the majority of what House Vidalis is about. I mean, it's it's the, the, the mark of handling. Like, you know what they're getting into, you know? Sure. They're the ones that are going to run the stables. They're the ones that are going to... I feel like they've got a handful of, of halflings from the Talenta Plains there as well, just to help them with dinosaur shit. They very well could. Right? I mean, like we said, just because this is a human mark doesn't mean they don't employ other races. Yeah. You're very right. Now, there are a couple of rumors around House Vidalis. There are some rumors that they've used mage breeding to create some fairly ridiculous monstrosities, uh, which are now kind of roaming around, probably again in the Eldine Reaches. But it's also rumored that they have mage bred humans as well. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I wonder if they're the reason why there are more and more aberrant dragon marks popping up. Potentially. That's cool. Yeah. You don't get a whole lot. Well, I mean, you get it with Ravnica, but you don't get it like weird experimentation in D&D as a general rule, like baked into the lore. The thing I like about this is that when you've got that one player, uh, probably like a Dan, uh, who, yeah, right. Nobody Fucking wa- Dan. Nobody wants a Dan. Uh, when you say, oh, it's a creature that looks like this and looks like this. And they go, oh, it's one of these. You got to do this to attack it. You know? And then the Grell opens its beak and shoots flames from its face. Yeah. Like- and they never saw it coming. And then they get all uppity about it well how come it did this blah 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 i didn't realize we were homebrewing everything oh well it's not homebrewed it's actually a house vidalis monstrosity that was created through mage breeding sorry bud shut up and go away (laughs) right you could just cut the shut up and go away for dan if you wanted dan shut up and go away thank you so Feel, feel free to take that and cut that into other episodes. All right? <laughs> I will. Yeah. Like, like, you know, not even the Eberron. It's just like, you know, in the middle of an episode. I don't even need to be on it. Just but shut up and go away, Dan. It's Instead of cutting to commercial, we'll cut to commercial just be you telling Dan to shut up and go away. Great. You know what? Goes for you too, Terry. <laughs> Megan, you can stay. So my next one is uh, House Jurasco. This is the Mark of Healing. Okay, this one is a traditionally halfling house, and it originated in the Talenta Plains. Yep. The leader of the house is Baron Ulara de Jurasco. All of these names are a mouthful, but there it is. Uh, check the show notes. Again, it'll all be spelled out there for everybody. Ulara de Jurasco was actually a pivotal player in fighting an epidemic in Karnath a decade ago. So right before the end of the last war, there was an epidemic in Karnath, and the House of Healing stepped up. They're located in Karnath in the Vedkyar Enclave, which is where they, they come from. And uh, they also have the Griffin emblem. Um, these are, This is the house that focuses not just on magical and non-magical healing, but on restoration magics, removing curses, and even resurrection for a fee. Okay, you need a certain amount of, of deductible for this healthcare system. Um <laughs> Resurrection is only available at the best Jurasco facilities, and the halfling healers will only attempt it after using augury to determine whether or not the spell will end horrifically. Seems reasonable. It does seem reasonable, and I'm surprised that more players don't do that. Hint, hint. Yeah, right. Um, There are rumors 
of House Tarasco using biological weapons and even new creatures during the last war, even though they had medics in every single army. The rumors also say that they teamed up with House Vidalis to create these horrors. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's where I was going with that. Yeah. Yeah, makes, makes sense. So not just creatures, but biological warfare, which they don't directly say this, but if the head of the house that came into power recently because um, of a great help that was given during a epidemic... But they also deal with biological weapons. You have to wonder, did they release a plague just to cure it? Hmm. Really got me thinking about that. These guys run medical schools and medical facilities, and they are the sources of all potions of healing in Eberron. They get a lot of shit for charging such expensive fees, and the house is consistent uh, with its message that the funds are necessary to support itself and train future generations, but there are a lot of people that are embittered. Uh, interestingly enough, the head of the criminal organization, the Boromar clan, is married to the unmarked heir of House Jurasco. Interesting. The halfling healers in Sharn, particularly those in the Panaceum in Dragon Towers, work closely with this seedy organization, and many criminals get free healing or at least a 10% discount. These special considerations are then reimbursed from the from Boromar clan's treasury. You get the impression that these are almost Doctors Without Borders with a really weird criminal undertone to it, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Like it's You didn't see that coming, huh? No. And you wouldn't necessarily get that just from the section on the Mark of Healing. Like I say, this stuff is just littered bits and pieces throughout the book. It's crazy how all over the place it is. Yeah. Yet it still makes sense the way they've set it up. Oh, it's a really well-written book. It just, it keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. So the next one I have uh, is the other halfling house, House Galanda. Yeah. Okay. Their leader is Baron Yorin de Galanda, who makes me think of Yorin from Game of Thrones, helped Arya escape from King's Landing. Yeah. You know, good guy. Uh, but these guys have their headquarters in Gatherhold, which, if you recall, is one of the few actual named locations, or, or cities, I should say, in the Talenta Plains. Sure, yeah. Okay. Uh, their sigil is a blink dog. Do you know what a blink dog is? Yes, I know what a blink dog is. Okay. Yeah. It's not the same as an up dog? You know what an up dog is? Yes, I know what an up dog is. Go fuck yourself, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Thank you for taking the time out of this episode to make that fucking joke continue. You're welcome. Um, I wish you would take this as seriously as I do. Most of the inns, taverns, and restaurants in Eberron are licensed by the Hostelers Guild. The Hostel... Oh, Hostel? Not Hostile. No, no, no. Like a a Hostel? Because this this is the mark of of hospitality. Hospitality, yes. Uh, So, yeah, the the Hostelers Guild, or uh, they're directly owned by House Galanda. Galanda's strength lies in its charm and connection, okay? They're not a wealthy, powerful house, but they've got lots of contacts. People like them. Uh, If you want to know something, who's a better person to ask than the local innkeeper, right? Or the tavern owner. How many times have you been in a campaign where you've been looking for the next piece of information and you get it from the guy behind the bar? No, you're right. It's always the bartender with the information. Or I guess even like waitresses and waiters and, and whatnot. Even the the housekeeping will be part of this, this yeah, house yeah. as they, well. They, so. They've got ears everywhere, right? Uh, like I said, their strength lies in their charm and their connections. They prefer to not deal in coin, but to deal in favors. If the Baron needs something, he would call in a favor. He wouldn't pay someone to deal with it. Okay, that's interesting. Yep. Uh, now, 
this house has a number of bound businesses. Uh, and now, for instance, the one that they gave me, the example they gave me in the book is the Gold Dragon Inn. This is a chain of inns you will find all over Corvair, whether you are in Carnath, Brayland, uh, Aondair, anywhere. You will find a Gold Dragon Inn. Specifically, actually, because it's going to tie into my next one, specifically only where there were places in the Five Nations. So you're not going to find this out in the... You're not going to find one in... Drome, Eldine Reaches. Yeah. Moreholds. Right. Yeah, out there, you're not going to find it. But but you are going to find this same kind of establishment every all over the place. Even in, in Valinar, right? Because that's that was technically at one point a part of... Yeah, it was the, not going to be yeah. in Kabara, though. That's true, yeah. yeah. Now, you're going to find that these have similar facilities uh, and menus even, right? Like, it's it's really... It's like going to the Days Inn. Every Days Inn is the same. Every Howard Johnson is the same. Every Best Western is the same. They, they, you know, it's what you're getting. That You know what you're paying for when you go here. Uh, and there is a particular standard that you would come to expect from all of these. I love that you just listed a bunch of like low-class motels. There's no like Hyatt's or, or fucking... I am poor. <laughs> okay. We're not going to the Hilton. <laughs> okay. I have made my way from intern to coffee bitch. Do you think I can afford a five-star hotel? No, I get to go stay at the Hojo's. Okay. <laughs> the only star you get is the brown get, one. Day. I don't even get motel six. I got motel three and a half. All right. Uh, now there are also other independent businesses that are licensed by the the hostelers guild yeah uh and these again also have to meet a particular standard of quality uh and of course they are not all run by halflings like it it can be anyone running these uh just because we said something like the golden dragon isn't in the Moorholds doesn't mean that they don't have uh, a, a. Oh, it's just specifically specifically the gold dragon is not there. Yeah, yeah. In in the Moorholds, Kebara, even maybe in Drome, you'll find inns, taverns, and restaurants that are licensed by uh, House Galanda. Okay. Now their mandate is more about providing service to travelers, and I thought this was a really interesting part. Their sanctuaries that are beyond the legal reach. Of governments and other houses. Oh, they've got the John Wick Hotel then. Yes. That's like that's one of the, the keystones of what they do. Again, this ties very solidly into the idea of the espionage and the the clandestine um, goings on all around Eberron. Oh, yeah. Right. Like there are just spies and ears and shit everywhere. Oh, big time. Well, wait for it, because that leads us into the house of the houses of shadows. That's right, there are two of them. There are two elven houses that share the same dragon mark, and they're known as the Houses of Shadow. And this is the dragon mark of Shadow. They run not only the realms of espionage, but also the arts and entertainment industries. So, you're going to get a bit of a history lesson. The first one is House Fiarlin. That's spelled with a P-H-I. Fiarlin. Okay. Baron Elvenor Elorenthi de Filarin. Good God. Can we not just have House Jed? You know what? When I make characters, I give them big, long, convoluted names, except for, like, Tors. Or Gun. Yeah, but I like <laughs> I like Gun. I can get back to Gun doing just about everything I do. Yeah, you went off half-cocked with that one. Anyways, uh, they've got the Hydra emblem, and this is the house that left the continent of Arenal, which was the elven continent, right? With yeah, kind of right smack dab in the middle. Yeah. Um, but they left after a conflict which ended up wiping an entire dragon mark off the face of Corvair. 
This was the mark of death, and it no longer exists. Interesting. This was the the one you were saying that... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there used to be another dragon mark. There used to be another dragon mark house, and it was elves. And then the the espionage, the mark of the shadow house, uh, Fjarlan just said, nope, enough of you, and ended them. And there's no other reference to the mark of death that I can find. Interesting. Yeah. But House Fjarlin is full of natural entertainers and it gains access to places and secrets that some might not have access to. But only a sect, uh, but only a select few can employ their services. Nobles, merchant lords, royalty and such can buy the house's services. They don't have a headquarters necessarily, but they have many various places of their own. Their lands, known as the Demon. Yeah, D-E-M-A-N-S-E. Nope. No? Close, though. D-E-M-E-S-N-E-S. Yes, that's yeah. what I said. <laughs> sure. Justice for Dave. The Demont are centers of the arts in the Five Nations, and they focus on many different artistic practices. Everything from um, drawing and painting through to dancing and acting and singing and, and calligraphy and all that. The Baron actually leads the house from uh, one of these Demont of Shadow in Sharn. One of the only known espionage agencies of House Fjarlin is called the Serpentine Table. And it's said that not even the operatives know what the information they collect is used for. They're just told, go out and get this one piece and report it to someone else. I like how this is the one of the ones that is known. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and they only give you one other and it's hinted at in one of the table options. And that is the uh, Carnival of Shadows which is a traveling circus that combines illusions, physical arts, and exotic beasts. Interesting. There's also a formal relationship with House Galanda to provide entertainers to their gold dragon inns. There you go. Yeah. Now, near the end of the last war, the major families of the House of Shadow had a huge fight called the Shadow Schism, and a significant portion of the house broke off to become a new house known as House Therani. There's peace now, but resentment and rivalries between the two houses are still boiling. They do not like each other. House Fjarlin runs the espionage and entertainment trades west of the Moorland now, um, over in uh, Breland and Ondere, and House Therani runs them in the east, over in Karnath and the um, and Valinar. It's generally thought that uh, Fjarlin agents are better spies and Therani agents are better assassins. House Therani has a, a leader as well, Baron Elar de Therani. Thank you guys for making that one a little fucking simpler. <laughs> um, and they've got a displacer beast emblem, which I really like for that's, a House of Shadow. That's cool. Yeah. They're located in Regalport in the, in the Lazar Principalities. And it's commonly thought that the uh, Baron is directly responsible for the Shadow Schism. Although the complexities of running an espionage ring for every side of a continent-wide war could be responsible for that shit. I mean... <laughs> right? That's got to be complicated. You know there were flowcharts. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's often actually being seen accompanied by two shadowy figures who are said to be the epitome of living shadow. And nobody knows who or what they are. Cool. House Therani seems to be a little more closed off than its sister house. It still only deals with wealthy clients and supplies entertainment to the different gold dragon inns of House Galanda who as well has a huge presence in Regalport. Of course. Um, but it refuses to cooperate with the Kornberg Chronicle, which is the newspaper that is, like the main newspaper, that is distributed like three times a week on the Monday, Wednesday, Friday version of, of uh, what Eberron has to offer. So because they're an Assassin's Guild, apparently the Chronicle 
has poked around their business a few times, and now that the house has just shut them right down. Says, nope, you're not you're not allowed anywhere near us. And Kornberg is in Zalargo, so it's probably manufactured by gnomes. Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, all of the artwork shows gnomes like reporters and editors and stuff. So. Uh, Gnomekin. Boo. So that that's what I have in the Houses of Shadow. I like that. There seems to be a lot there. It's not just... There's a lot implied in the background of a lot of this shit, too, that you can extrapolate from. But that's the information that I really appreciate. It allows me as a DM to kind of fill in some blanks. Yeah. One of my big critiques of the Forgotten Realms modules are that they just straight up tell you, this is this. This person has this information. This is what they want. Go over here and do this. And that's it. They don't leave it like open to what you want to do. That It's not open to interpretation. And Eberron is all open to interpretation. It is, but it's also very well laid out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's complex interpretation. Yes. So I know we've only covered half of the uh, Dragonmark houses. We're going to save the rest for next week. But is there anything else you want to talk about with the first half that we covered? No, not really. I think we did a... We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. wrap it up. We'll do our big inspiration thing at the end of when we've covered all of them. That makes sense. I like okay, that. Okay, yeah, so yeah. Um, let's jump into uh, Monster. Okay. All right. What do you got today? I want to talk about living spells. Okay. So living spells are the magical um, anomalies that were created by the Mornland in the Mornland. And the appearance might be the most mysterious thing about what's happened in there about the morning. Nobody understands how uh, how or why these things exist. Uh, in some unknown fashion, the magical energy unleashed during the last war caused... Spell effects to take on sentience. So these didn't exist before the morning? No. Okay. A living spell appears much like a normal spell effect, except its magical energy endures indefinitely. I like the idea of just a little blue ball of energy the size of like a little marble floating through, you know, floating through the Mornland all of a sudden. You know, it has been for years. And all of a sudden it comes across your group of travelers and boom, fireball. Oh, with delayed blast fireball where it's a little pinprick of light. You're walking along, you see a pinprick of light that doesn't mean anything on the ground. And you walk up to it and then boom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, that's a lot of fun. Oh, traps. Living spell traps. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. well, and keep in mind that they are sentient. Yeah. So so they're, they're going to wait for their opportunity to attack. Yeah, they don't have to be triggered by the first person to walk through. They can wait for the last. Yeah. So they haunt the Mornland, but they also haunt other areas blasted by the last war, somehow subsisting on ambient magical energies as they writhe across the landscape. Although they have no need for sustenance, they attack any creatures they come into contact with, lashing out indiscriminately with their corrupted magic. They're considered constructs, which means they don't need to eat or breathe, or drink water, or sleep. Um, you can actually customize them as well. They've got a little table on how to customize them in the book. Now, can this be any spell from any school? No, uh, to make a living spell from a different spell besides the one they give you, you can choose a damage-dealing evocation or conjuration spell from the wizard spell list up to 5th level. And then you look at the uh, living spell customization table to see which stat block to customize based on the chosen spell's level. Okay, so um, you can then mess with the damage immunity 
Uh, you can replace a magical strike with uh, one type of damage dealt by a chosen spell, and you essentially replace the effect of a, of a spell uh, with the effect of a chosen spell. So, again, you can customize it based on one of the three. There are challenge rating 1, which is Burning Hands, challenge rating 5, which is Lightning Bolt, and challenge rating 7, which is Living Cloud Kill. Which one would you like me to go through? I'll break down a stat block for one of them. Let's do the, the powerful one. Okay, so Living Cloud Kill. This is a large construct. It's unaligned, so it doesn't have an, an alignment at all. Um, it's got an AC of 15. Hit points are 73, so you do still have to try to hit this thing. Um, and its speed is 25 feet, and it flies at 25 feet, and it can hover. It's got damage resistances, uh, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. It's immune to poison because it's cloud kill. Right? Sure. Um, you cannot blind, charm, deafen, um, exhaust, frighten, grapple, poison, or knock prone this creature. Its strength is average, its wisdom is average, its dex and con are a little bit higher, um, and its intelligence and charisma are a lot lower than average. So, because, I mean, it, it is barely sentient. Yep, yeah, that makes sense. It's amorphous, which means that it can move through a space as narrow as one inch without squeezing. People get this wrong. You can still move through smaller spaces. You just have to squeeze. Squeezing just means you have disadvantage on an attack while squeezing, while you're in the area. And, and you move at half speed. So you can just walk right up to a tiny little pinprick hole in the wall and still seep your way into it. Because you're only going five feet, it, it, it'll take up ten, and then you get your attacks and everything else. Like, it's it's not a big deal here. You're, it's getting in. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, magical resistance, which means it has advantage on saving throws. And it's got uh, multi-attack. Which means that it has two magical strike attacks. It's plus eight to hit. It reaches ten feet, which is unusual for fifth edition. And uh, and it hits one target. It's five d six plus five poison damage. That's not terrible. Normally, with cloud kill, there's a save that you have to make. But no, this one because it's sentient, it hits you. Sure. Right. Um, the living spell creates a forty foot diameter sphere of fog uh, within sixty feet of it. The fog spreads around corners. When a creature enters the fog for the first time on a turn, or starts its turn there, it must make a DC 16 constitution save, taking 5d8 poison damage on a fail, or half on a success. The fog moves 10 feet away from the living spell at the start of each of its turns, rolling along the ground and through openings. The fog lasts for 10 minutes, or until the living spell's concentration ends, as if it is concentrating on a spell. Which means... That this is its spell mimicry that it can do. It has this this ability to just create the spell itself as well. So not only does it sit there and hit you for poison damage, it creates cloud kill spells and sends them out. They all do shit like this. They all have the ability to do this. So the burning hands one hits you for fire damage and casts burning hands. Lightning bolt, I mean... I don't think I need to walk you through that example. Lightning bolt. Exactly. So um, it's electrifying. So um, it's really, really crazy what they can do with these spells because you can choose any evocation or conjuration damage dealing spell up to a fifth level spell. That's powerful. No kidding. And you can you can get really, really bizarrely creative with this. Probably too creative for my player's liking. Probably, yes. yes. So uh, things like Scorching Ray is going to fuck up a party. Yeah, good. And it's not that powerful, right? That's not a hugely overpowering spell, but the fact that it has a one-third chance to regenerate the ability to cast this over and over again. Good. A level one party should not be going into the Mornlands. True. 
True. I like the idea, too, of you sitting there and seeing seven or eight of these things all just wafting around an area. You're like, hey, we've got to get through the forest, but the forest is full of living lightning bolts just zapping from one tree to another. The, like the air smells of ozone, do we enter in here? Yes, I know it's a CR5. We can take any one of these. We're a, we're a level 12 party. We can take any three of them, no problem. But but there's eight, and no one here is resistant to lightning damage. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that you you can you can choose cantrips. I, w- I want to point out that this includes magic missile, which won't have to hit, and is going to do force damage, right? Like, it, it, this can get fucky quickly. Living spells are scary. I like the idea of a spare the dying spell just kind of roaming around. Well, it specifically has to be a a damage dealing spell. Fair enough. But I mean, homebrew your own thing. Homebrew your own shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that's all we've got for this first episode. Yes. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to go check out Jed? Shall we wrap this up then? Yeah. Let's do that. I knew you'd want to check out Jed, you pervert. This entire series, as well as other series on role-playing games, are available on the It's a Mimic feed on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and lots of other podcast apps. So don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to. Also, check out recent episodes on www.itsamimic.com and feel free to support us by hitting that donate button. Thanks for listening to this episode of It's a Mimic Touring the Multiverse. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook, or you can find me at the subreddit r slash it's a mimic. Until next time, I'm Dave. And then after that, you're not Dave. And we'll be back with more Eberron information and crazy adventure inspiration next week. But first, let's go see Jed. All right. today jed's extrubius booth of goods we got magic we got not magic we got everything in between of magic and not magic just come on over here i'm lonely adam hey hey jed hey how's it going hey Hey, adam i got a question for you uh yeah adam have you ever wanted to be able to breathe toxic fumes without repercussions oh my god yes i'm tired of walking upwind from dave I was just about to say... Hey, I've got a cleansing stone now. Use it. No. Jed, help. No, no, Dave, please. Please use it. I mean, what was the point of buying it? What do you you got for me? Okay, cleansing stone or not, the item that I got in store for you today, you're going to be able to visit Dave's house with no problem at all. You won't have to worry about drowning or suffocating while in inhabitable environments, if you know what I mean. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. What do you got? Alright, check these out. These bad boys, they go by the name of the Ventilating Lungs. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Many oohs about it. Originally designed for soldiers to combat the deadly gases used in the battlefields of the last war, these metallic nodules fully replace the current lungs in your chest once they have been attuned to. That's, uh, that's pretty messed up, honestly. Hey, that may be, but it's a small price to pay for what you get out of these little things. What do you get? Alright, these lungs, they allow any soldier or adventurer these days to breathe cleanly in the most vile and poisonous places. Interesting. So I could uh, get these installed and then venture into the Mordland without worrying about too much, hey? Oh yeah, absolutely. Even like a cloud kill spell wouldn't be able to affect you. Yeah, that's pretty good. But what happens if somebody hits me with like anti-magic, right? I don't want these to just disappear now I can't breathe. 
Alright, no worries at all. Even in an anti-magic field, magic is not able to suppress these things. Oh, good. That seems very, very useful. Oh yeah, and there's another bonus. You can also blow the roof off of any small home with a powerful gust of wind from your body. You can now produce! How cool is that? Dave can already do that, but I'd, I'd like to do that with my lungs, though. Wrong hole, exactly. Wrong hole. Story of my life. Dave, you might be interested to get uh, some of these for yourself, you know, if you're going to be around all of these, uh, these gases you're talking about all the time. Dave's already a blowhard. He doesn't need it. Oh, Jesus. Ruthless. Ruthless. So what do you think, boys? Yeah, I'm in. How much? Yeah, I'd let these, uh, I'd let these go for about f- uh, 550 gold pieces. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, I'm totally in. Wait, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's that sounds great. I'll, I'll take a set, too. Well, hold on a second now. Why were you so quick to get in on this one, Adam? That's just a really good price. Right. Hey, 550 gold pieces each? No problem at all. 1,100 gold piece, boys. Yeah, sure. I've seen these things go for like 5,000, so... Oh, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. What was that? What'd you say? Not, nothing. 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 Must have just been crowd noise. Oh, fuck. Hey, shut up over there! I'm trying to do business here! Hey, fuck you! I swear to God, Jarnock, if you don't stop fucking taking my business, I'm gonna come over there and I'm gonna grab you by the tickets and we're gonna go for a walk, you hear me? Here you go, Jed. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I'm not feeling too confident on my selling skills with you boys today, but we're gonna take it and run. We'll see you next week? Absolutely, you know we'll be back. I'll be here. All right, well, you come on back. We're going to have uh, magical items with incredible power and mysterious lore. But uh, maybe we should plan to speak somewhere else, not so uh, public, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah, okay, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll meet you down by the dock next week then, hey? Yeah, let's, uh, let's meet down by the docks next week. I'll be the one in the long jacket and the legs for days. Legs for days. So sensual. We'll see you then. Alright, take it easy, boys. We'll see you then. Hey, you need your homunculus polish? Jed's got you covered. Homunculus polishing. Come get it done. Nice and shiny for the missus. What's a homunculus? (laughs) You know what? Leave that in. (laughs) Dan, shut up and go away. Thank you.